Northwest in Ashland, Massachusetts. Serves traditional and authentic Japanese ramen, Thai noodle soups, and the best chicken wings in Metro West. Everything's done in-house from scratch, and they use only the highest quality products from small farms. Co-chef owners, Papanook and Alan McIntosh, combine their culinary skills with traditional Japanese cuisine to create an authentic, amazing flavor in every dish. Located at 1 West Union Street on Ashland, Massachusetts, their phone number is 508-309-3416. Or they can be located on Facebook at Dorgan Ramen Ashland and on their website as well. www.dorganramen.com Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Welcome back to the Vampire Movie Minute Podcast. Podcast dedicated to any and all vampire movies. And we happen to be covering the 1985 Toby Hooper film Life Force. Based on the novel Space Vampires. I almost said Space Girl. <laughs> I'm your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Scott Danielson. And tonight we are talking about Mitt 75 to 80. And we begin it with uh, an injection, and we end the five minutes with a British helicopter taking away, taking off. Yep, yeah, Carlson is trying to uh, talk to Space Girl or Dr. Armstrong. He's trying to figure out who he's talking to and then trying to piece things together. Right, He uh, Carlson tells everyone to shut up, and that's when we hear Space Girl's voice through Patrick Stewart. It's very funny because Carlson then also sees Space Girl, too, and she's got, like, red eyes. And she says that she loves him and she wants to be with him. But he's like, why? Why? And talks about, like, the stuff that he saw. And, of course, she explains that she took this body based on images from his head. So he liked beautiful, busty women, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the uh, the Ghostbusters thing. <laughs> but, oh, with the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man? Yeah, like whatever you think of. It, it'll, yeah, it taps into your these bat creatures, these bat vampires tap into your deepest desires and uh, there you go. Like they, They'll become the, the thing you desire the most, which apparently is this, this particular woman. Now let me, uh, ask, let, me, let me ask you this question, Scott. If you were like Carlson and his um, crew trapped in space, no other, you know, women around except for, like, the two that were on the ship and your, you know, your co-workers, you don't really think about them that way. You, you keep it professional. Would Space Girl... If this is you, take the form of your wife. I mean, potentially, yeah. Yeah. Probably. Because that's what you'd be thinking about if you were millions of miles away from your wife and you haven't been in contact with her. True, yeah. Could you? Would you Would you be able to um, – how would you explain that to your wife? <laughs> I was uh, thinking of I, you. I, I, I think I'd I, probably I, have to explain why I, tried, like, why I tried to firebomb a spaceship first. So <laughs> there's a lot of explaining that has to go on. I mean, I just see it as – but, honey, I was thinking of you the whole time. <laughs> I thought it was you, even though I was in space. This doesn't work. You're already too deep at that point. So these dreams that you're having, Scott, of uh, another woman, it's me? Yeah, something like that. In his defense, that makes sense. You know what I mean? He's millions of miles from home. He would be thinking yeah. of women, possibly. Yeah. Maybe it's, a pizza. Well, I find it's just- Thank God yeah, the vampire didn't show up like a talking pizza. 
Yeah. What I find most interesting is that there's actually like two hot guys that were <laughs> for that crew were supporting them. Like two out of three. Right. Uh, but one of the astronauts who found him was a woman, right? I think so. Like, but it was only, I don't know. It's just funny because like they're like, yep, we, it, it's, it's a slight logic leap because they don't change, the, they don't seem to change their form when they're faced you know, facing the other fellas, you know, nothing but soldiers down, so. Now, the other thing is on the commentary, uh, the person talking to Hooper calls him a celluloid illusionist, and Hooper says he would rather have been a magician or Dr. Frankenstein, and the uh, commentator says that you pretty much became both. Now, how they filmed this scene with the stuff flying around, that's actually Hooper and the cameraman running around the room, apparently. Really? Yeah. Like lighting effect? Yes, there, okay. there, there, there was like no money for like CGI or whatever you want to think CGI was in 1984 when they filmed this thing. Yeah, that's that's part of the course canon. Yep, 24 million dollars definitely not spent very well sometimes, and sometimes it was spent very well. I mean, we have a great scene coming up later on with uh, Patrick Stewart and the blood and everything. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, they have we've we've alluded to this before, but Canon films were notorious for kind of being made off of false promises. <laughs> so money had a tendency to kind of run out at weird times. So there would be janky moments in their movies just because they didn't have the budget they needed. Definitely, I do have a cool little excerpt here from Life Force. Hold on one second. I actually was going to read the wrong something I had read previously. So, have you ever right. heard of the movie, the movie, the, the the movie lounge, the movie couch? It was a radio show in the two thousands. I'm sorry, what was the radio show of what? The name of the radio show. It was actually on the radio, but you could probably find it streaming. It wasn't a podcast. It was called the movie couch, the movie lounge. Oh, I, I vaguely remember it, but I can't say that I've, I've ever heard it. Okay, so the guy who hosted it was Mike Mayo, and I had him on the show when he put out a book called The Horror Show Guide, The Ultimate Fright Fest of Movies. I was a okay. huge fan of this radio show when I could catch it to listen to it. Mm -hmm. I would probably go back and listen to old episodes of favorite movies of mine just to hear his you know, insight input information about him. And yeah. uh, he put out this... Again, kind of like, you know, these horror books that you see at bookstores sometimes, they're, you know, becoming less and less because of the internet, obviously. It's, you know, easier to find a review or something about a film that way. Uh, but they mm -hmm. do happen to have in here, I believe, Life Force. I'm trying to find it right now, just so we can read what his thoughts were on this film back in... Aha, here we go. 1985 Life Force. Using only the bare bones of Colin Wilson's fine novel, The Space Vampire, screenwriters Dan O'Bannon and Don Jacoby add lots of fancy effects and bizarre, senseless ending. Captain Carlson and a manic Steve Railsback of the space shuttle Churchill discovers a huge ship with dead bat-like creatures and three humans preserved in plastic. Back on Earth, the humans reawaken and zap people. The sequence were uh, a buck named Matilda May stalks several security guards, must be seen to believe. For an hour and 40 minutes of cheap thrills, you could do worse. And that's all he has to say about Life Force. <laughs> okay, then. What was the other two vampire movies we covered? We covered uh, Once Bitten. Let's, Once uh, Bitten and The Lost Boys. Once Bitten and The Lost Boys. Let's see what he had to say about Once Bitten. Since we got a kind of a short episode again this time. Um, 
Top 7 HP Lovecraft Adaptation. No, there's no one fitting in here. Huh. Probably too comedic, maybe? I don't know. Possibly. But we have the Lost Boys. Joel Schumacher says, My fear was that I'd wake up in the middle of the night thinking, My God, you wanted to make Lawrence of Arabia and Grand Illusion? You're making a teenage vampire movie. Now can we make the greatest teenage vampire movie in the history of the world? We may not, he may not have accomplished that goal. Near Dark comes to mind, but that's one's okay. Michael and Sam move with the divorced mom to Santa Carla, California, the murder capital of the world, discover a gang of undead adolescents led by David. Schumacher and director of photography Michael Chapman makes the flimsy material look much better than it actually is with some dandy visual effects, and the young cast isn't bad either. Still, the story relies so much on Hollywood conventions that it's easy to predict what's going to happen, and the big finish is equally stereotyped stuff. I don't know if he liked the movie or not. It's hard to tell. Yeah, not really definitive, is it? No, but this was one of my favorite movie cri uh, critics of all time. Uh, I, I definitely had to read excerpts from this book. It was published in 2013 by Invisible Ink Press. Gotcha. But it was an absolute pleasure to have Mike Mayo on my uh, podcast, or sorry, my radio show, Radio Par, and told him that he was the inspiration for me creating Radio Par. One of the inspirations for me creating Radio Par. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, and recently I got to reconnect with a uh, not reconnect. I'm sorry. I got to connect with the author of one of my favorite vampire novels when I was a teenager called The Vampire Memoirs, and it's the story of a 1600 year old vampire and her odyssey through time. Very cool. Four things you should know about the book, just to have it give it kind of a breakdown of 425 pages. It starts in the year. 385 A.D. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So she's a barbarian warrior woman who eventually becomes a wife and mother and then turned into a vampire against her will and then becomes a vampire queen for several centuries, eventually killing her vampire maker and then going to live in London as a barmaid slash prostitute. She eventually adopts a little girl to take under her wing to protect her from the plague. And then uh, after finding the girl's family, go, uh, eventually meets a young British man who falls in love with her. Uh, but after her secret is revealed, she realizes it might not be the best time for him to get involved with somebody like her. Uh, flash forward to the 20th century, pretty much. And she gets uh, through the Great Depression and World War II and um, eventually gets her college education and high school degree and becomes a history teacher. What better job for, than for a vampire than a history teacher? I don't know. No, but it's a fun book, and I was really happy to finally uh, have a chance to talk to the author to tell her how much her vampire novel meant to me when I was a teenager. Nice. That's all the time we have here on the Vampire Movie Minute Podcast, another short episode. If you heard last week's episode, it was just as short. we got some interesting <laughs> guests coming up soon. And we are uh, rolling through this film and definitely seem to be on our way to almost ending it, too. I think we got uh, about 26 minutes left at this point if we're hitting the 90-minute mark. Yeah, we got, we got about a half hour, a little over a half hour left. Cool. Scott, where can they find us? You can find us at the Vampire Movie Minute on Facebook, and we are the Vampire Minute on Twitter. And you can send us an email at thatradiohorror at gmail.com. You can also help out the podcast by buying us a cup of coffee. Go to Radio Horror, buy me a cup of coffee. Also, if you are a vampire fan, don't forget you can send me an email if you are interested in Vlada a Dracula Tale. Go to Vlada a Dracula Tale on Facebook. Uh, my Kickstarter was very successful. We are still selling copies of it. It will be in retailers at some point, but with the pandemic the way it is right now, it'd be best to 
send me an email and I can invoice you to get a copy of the book signed by me. It is a graphic novel, gender swap cast of Dracula. And this is, by the way, Scott, uh, the time that we're recording this, which is early February, this episode probably won't play till April, but what famous vampire movie turned 90 this month? Turned 90? Oh, goodness. Came out in 1931. Oh, is that the original Dracula? Yes, it is. There you go. Valentine's Day, 1931. <laughs> really? On Valentine's Day? Well, don't forget, Valentine's Day, I don't think, was a holiday in 1931, was it? I, I don't know off the top of my head. It's, just, it's an interesting one because you could argue it's a romance movie. <laughs> right. Friday the 13th, the remake came out on Valentine's Day, or I think the day before Valentine's Day, Friday the 13th. Yeah, there you go. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Vampire Movie Minute Podcast. Join us next week. Catch you next time.